Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And the idea is one of being a posture of readiness, of preparedness, of conviction and courage in the face of the onslaught of the devil. We think of the book of Galatians when Paul tells the Galatians, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you be free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's saying stand in a position, be established in liberty, and don't be brought back into legal bondage that can never save you, that can only be a yoke that you are unable to bear. And we could go on in other places as well where standing is a metaphor of something we are called to do in our Christian life. And so I was intrigued as we went recently through the book of Romans together in our reading to come upon this very interesting phrase in one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. In fact, as Brother Sims read our scripture for us today, I wonder how many of you could have quoted it by memory without looking down at your Bibles. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, notice what is called there in verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. What is wherein? What are we standing in? Grace. There is access by faith into this grace. And Paul is saying in this Grace, we stand. Now, the, the, the tense there is important in the Greek. In, it is to say we are standing. This is a reality. This is our position. We are standing in this grace. And what I want to ask you this evening is this simple question. What does it mean to stand in grace? If someone were to ask you, what does Paul mean there when he says in Romans chapter 5, we stand in in grace. We are standing right now in grace. What would you say? Would you know how to expound it or to explain it? That is what I want to do tonight. I want to look at what Paul is saying here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to stand in grace? And what then, secondly, does it mean for the way you and I live our life? What does it mean to live in the reality that right now, if we are in Christ, we are standing in grace? The title of the message this evening is simply Standing in Grace. Standing in Grace. And I want to look at three aspects here. First of all, a privilege. Secondly, a position. And thirdly, a posture. A privilege, a position, and a posture. And for you young people here tonight, for whom I'm going to be giving you a pop quiz afterward, remember that word grace. I think you're going to have a question about that word tonight. So first of all, let's understand here a privilege. A privilege. Now, let's take, as we do always, our text in its context to try to understand what Paul is saying. Verse chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, we need to understand what this grace is, and we'll get a clue from that by looking at what Paul is talking about in these two verses. What is this grace? That is our privilege. Notice, first of all, this grace involves peace with God. You see, that's what he says in verse 1. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, what does it mean to have peace with God? When you were saved, you went from being the enemy of God to the friend of God. And it really is that simple. Paul brings this out as well. If you just look ahead to verse 10, he says, For if when we were enemies... You see, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. What does it mean to have peace with God? You used to be his enemy. Why? Because you lived like it. You were the child, if you will, of the devil in your mind. You were, you were destined. You were, what's the right way to put it? By your very nature and by your direction, you were the child of the devil. You were the enemy of God. And God has reconciled you to himself so that you are at peace with him. There is no more war. There is peace. There is no more disharmony. There is harmony. So peace with God is part of this grace in which you are standing. But notice what else. Go back then. We have peace with God. Why? Because verse 1 says before that, therefore being justified by faith. So part of this grace is being, is being at peace with God. It's also being justified, being justified. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Justification is the judicial acquittal in which we are declared not guilty by God. To be justified is to be declared not guilty by God. A defendant in a criminal case in our legal system is justified. When a jury of his peers comes back and says, we find the defendant not guilty, there is no more that the state can do against him. They cannot try him again for that same crime. He has been vindicated. He has been justified. And in the same way, what Paul is saying here is when he says, therefore, being justified by faith, he does not mean you are progressively being justified. The right tense in the Greek is simply this, therefore, having been justified. He's referring to something that happened in the past in which God looked at you and said, not guilty. Now, of course, we are all guilty. How could God look at us and say, not guilty? There's only one thing. It is based on the righteousness of his son. Notice, therefore being justified by faith. Look what happened in the very first word of chapter one, 5 and verse 1. What is the very first word of chapter 5? Therefore. So we got to go back to understand what the therefore is there for. Look at verse 25. 
who, speaking of Jesus, was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, therefore being justified by faith. He is tying our justification, our being declared not guilty before God, to the work of Jesus Christ. And now go back one more verse. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. What shall be imputed? Well, again, what's the context? If you look at the end of verse chapter 4, and really all throughout chapter 4, he's talking about Abraham. And he's working out the principle that Abraham, as the Old Testament tells us, believed God, and it was counted to him for what? Righteousness. And what Paul is working out through this whole chapter is that the only basis for our standing is by the righteousness of God being imputed to us. How are we declared not guilty before God? Because God has looked at us and seen we are guilty. But then he looks at someone else, Jesus Christ, and says, you are not guilty. And he takes his righteousness and imputes it to our encounter. Now you say, what is imputation? What does it mean to be imputed? Do you know the, the, the law imputes things to people? Let me give you an example. If you are an employer and you have an employee who is acting as your employee and operating within the scope of their employment, the duties that you've given them, do you know the knowledge they gain in their job is imputed to you? You say, I'm the company. I had no idea that this was happening. I had no idea about this. And the law says, did your employee know? And the jury says, yeah, he did know. He was operating in the scope of his employment. Do you know what the law says? The, the company knew. Did the company actually know? Did the boss, did the CEO know? Did the vice presidents know? No. But the knowledge of the employee was imputed. It was assigned. It was recognized as being in the company. In the same way, it's true for us. We have no righteousness of our own. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is ascribed, it is assigned, it is represented as being ours. It's like Christ's righteousness goes from his bank account to our bank account, and now the righteousness of Jesus Christ is ours. So our privilege is that we have peace with God, no more warfare, harmony. The reason we have peace with God is because God has looked what is causing the warfare with him, our sin. And he has declared us not guilty. Why? Because he has taken, he has imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account. Which means that in the sight of God, we are purely what? If Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, what does, that, what does God see us as? 100% righteous. Now let that sink in for just a moment. By the imputation of Christ's righteousness, God looks at you as being perfectly righteous because Christ's righteousness is your righteousness by faith. That's Bible. That's the doctrine of imputation. Now, we don't just have peace with God. We don't just have justification. This would be grace well enough. But Paul clearly has something else in mind when he's talking about grace. He's not just talking about peace with God. He's not just talking about justification by the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. Why do I say that? Well, look with me at verse number 15 of chapter 5. Notice what he says here in the second sentence. For if through the offense of one many be dead, 
much more the grace of God and the gift by grace. You see, he's making a distinction between the grace of God and the gift that is by grace. Notice that in verse 17, he also says, he speaks of the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. So he's distinguishing between those two things. There is grace and there is the gift that comes by grace. There is the abundance of grace and there is the righteousness that comes by grace. So in other words, the grace of God, this grace, is not just the gift that God gave you in salvation. It's not just the gift of his justification. It's not just the gift of his peace with God. It means something else. And here's what biblically I think Paul has in mind. Turn over, keep your finger in Romans chapter 5, but turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Notice verse number 6. Scripture speaks here of the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. There's that word again, his grace. Wherein, in that grace, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted. In the beloved. Now, who is the beloved? The beloved is his son. His son. You could capitalize that B. It's a beloved. It's the beloved one. God has accepted us in his beloved son, Jesus. So what is grace? Grace is not just peace with God. It's not just the justification in the forgiveness of our sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. This grace is God's favor and acceptance to us. It is God's embrace of us. We sang tonight about the wonderful grace of Jesus. It's like a mighty ocean. It's like this overflowing flood of God's generosity and mercy and favor and love that is completely undeserved. This is where the old acronym makes so much sense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches. His overwhelming favor. And again, as, a, as, as I be, have become a father, it has become, I guess, crystallized for me in the way that a father looks at his child. And you have seen fathers, maybe you had a father like this, who when that father looks at this child, they just glow, they just beam. You are my well-beloved son. I just love you because you are my child. You will always be mine. And that is the way God looks at us in this grace. He beams on us. He glows toward us. He overflows in generosity toward us. They are his riches entirely in our direction. If God be for us, Paul says, who can be against us? What is God's grace? What is this grace? That God's for you. He is for you eternally. Listen to what the commentator Poole says. He said, one may be reconciled to his prince. There's peace and justification. And yet not to be brought into his presence. What is this grace? That God is welcoming you in favor into his presence, utterly unmerited to you. 
So this grace is the privilege, the privilege, yes, of peace with God, yes, of being justified by faith, but more broadly, the favor of God, undeserved by any merit of yours, solely in Jesus Christ. And notice, secondly, then, the position that we are in. He says that this grace is that in which we stand. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Well, here's the first thing, notice. Why do we stand in it? Well, notice first, it's by faith. He says, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. What does it mean that we, it is by faith? It means simply, it has nothing to do with you. That's why it's by faith. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with someone else. Now, to, know, to understand this, we need to go back to chapter 4 and just bring out another little clue from what he's been talking about with Abraham. Look, go back to chapter 4 and look in verse 3. He says, for what says the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You say, well, Paul, what on earth are you talking about? Very simple. When you go to a job and you work and you get a paycheck every two weeks, that paycheck is not of grace. It's of debt. Because you worked. And if your employer did not give you your paycheck in exchange for your work, you would go and sue them. And you would win a judgment for that paycheck. Why? Because they owed it to you. And the simple point that Paul is making is this. If you and I come into God's favor by merit, by working for it, then it is not grace. It cannot be grace. It is debt. It is God saying, I owe you my favor. And so he gives it. Paul says, that's not what happened with Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. It was imputed to him. It was assigned to him for righteousness. So notice what he says. But to him that works not, someone who's not working and striving to obtain God's favor, but is instead simply believing, Paul says, his faith is counted for righteousness as a work of grace of God's free and unmerited favor. So simply put, it has nothing to do with you. It is by faith in the one who is the worker, not in your own works. But notice also then, he does not just say it is by faith that we have access into this grace wherein we stand. He says, by whom or by our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that our grace, our standing in grace, is, not, is by faith, having nothing to do with ourselves, and is by Christ? Well, let's tie it back to what we just talked about. It has everything to do with him. Your standing in grace has nothing to do with you or me, and it has everything to do with him. Why? Because how were you justified? Because Christ died for your offenses, and he was raised again for your justification. How is righteousness imputed to you? 
because Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. And his robes of righteousness are now clothing you and covering your sin. How do you have peace with God? Because Jesus, in Christ, you always have peace with God because Jesus is always at peace with God. Jesus is the beloved son who always did those things that pleased him. And in the favor of Jesus Christ, in the favor of God, how do you have access into that? Because as we just read in Ephesians chapter 1, this grace is wherein we are accepted in whom? In the beloved, in Jesus Christ, who always has God's smiling face of approval on him. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. You say, that, I've heard that a thousand times. Yes. Do you believe it? I don't mean do you believe it intellectually. I mean, has that touched your heart? Are you living in the reality of the fact that your standing with God has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him? To put it another way, why would we say that we are standing in grace? How do we have any establishment in this grace? Well, let me ask you this question. Will Christ have any, will ever have anything less than perfect peace with God? Will he? Of course he won't. So neither will you. By faith, you are in Christ, and so your standing is in perfect peace. Let me ask you this. Will Christ have anything other than perfect righteousness and perfect innocence before God the Father in terms of the moral law of God? Of course he won't, so neither will you. Will Christ have anything less than God's perfect love and favor toward him for all of eternity? Of course he won't. And so therefore, if you are in Christ by faith, neither will you. In this grace of God's peace, of God's justification, and of God's favor, you are standing eternally by faith, by Christ. Nothing to do with you. Everything to do with him. Now, that is the utter heart of who we are as Christians. I have just explained for you the gospel in a very, very probably familiar way. But I want us to come into that, what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is for you in Christ and you are standing in that, who can be against us? He goes on to say, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. And he goes on to say, I am persuaded that neither height that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what that is? Standing. You are standing in the grace of God that has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Christ. That's your position. That's who you are right now in Jesus Christ, if you're born again. Do you believe it? Do you embrace it? 
That's why, thirdly, we shouldn't just look at the privilege, we shouldn't just look at the position that we are in today, right now, firmly, eternally. But thirdly, we need to see our posture. Our posture. If the Bible is telling you that you are standing in this position, then simply this, stand in it. If you are standing in it, then stand in it. What does it mean to stand? What would it look like for your life when you are standing in this grace of God? I want to suggest to you tonight three things, three areas, three perspectives that we can have towards standing in grace. The first is this. The first perspective of this is looking back, is looking back. How do we look back at who we were before Christ when we're standing in grace? It is, first of all, utter and complete gratitude and not guilt. Utter and complete gratitude and not guilt. I know that there are some. You came to Christ later in life. You looked back at a life of shame, a life of sin, of things that you wish you'd never done that may wake you up at night with regrets, decisions that you have made that you simply look back and you say, how could I have done something so foolish? How could I have, how could I have reacted in this kind of way? And the simple point is, when you understand what grace is, that it has nothing to do with you or your performance and everything to do with Christ and his performance, standing in grace means there's no guilt. Because Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. None. When God looks at you, he does not see your worst mistake when it's under, his, under this blood of his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ, full stop, period, end of story. And that means that it is the devil who accuses you of your worst mistakes that have been covered by the blood of Christ. And so stand up to the accuser and resist him and stand in full gratitude for the forgiveness of your sin that is now as far away from us as the east is from the west. Do not let Satan captive capture you. Do not let him accuse you when in Jesus Christ, as we just read, who is he that condemns? Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. And therefore, standing in grace means looking back with entire gratitude not with guilt. What about the present? What does standing in grace look like for the way we live in the present? Well, these are two dimensions, and I want to bring both of these out tonight. A dimension that looks vertically and a dimension that, that looks horizontally. First of all, vertically, it is to live by grace. To stand in grace today is to live in Grace, And I want you to show you something very important here that Paul brings out. Chapter, go back to chapter 5. He says in verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by what? Is anyone looking at your Bible? Be, be saved by what? His life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I 
live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. What does it mean for you to be saved by his life? It means that just as by his death he reconciled you to God, he intends to live his life through you to deliver you and transform you into the image of his son. Which means simply this, friends. His life lived through you is just as much about grace as his salvation of you was in the first place. You do not enter into God's favor by work. You enter in by grace. And you walk in his favor, not by work, but by grace. Grace is the settled favor of God toward you in Christ. And his grace is continued to be lived through you, channeled by you, in a way that is pleasing to God. You see, there are two things that we need to distinguish between in our Christian lives, and we are at so much risk of, of confusing these. I hope this will be helpful. Theologians talk about our standing before God and our state before God. Why don't you just listen to this, think through this with me. Our standing before God is imputed righteousness of Christ, justified by faith, entirely, eternally at peace with God, and that will never change. It will never change. In the same way that my child will never not be my child. My child has my DNA. He is in my family. I will always love my child. I will always respond with a kind of beloved response to my child because they are my child. But that is different than our state with God. Our state with God changes. Why? Because it's my walk with him. Because at times I am doing those things that please him. And at other times I am not. In the same way that my child who knows that they are my child and they will always be my child and I will always love them for, my for being my child sometimes is acting in disobedience and in rebellion toward me and my face toward them is not a beaming smile but it's sometimes it's a stern look that's bringing them to discipline. Their standing is always the same with me. They're my child. Their state with me is sometimes different based on their posture toward me. Now you say, why do we confuse those things? Because we realize, you know what, I'm not walking with God right now. And therefore we think that God is just hanging up there and his love has been put to one side and we don't have any hope of, of ever getting back in his good favor. We don't even know whether we can come to him and pray. Nonsense. Our standing with him has not changed a bit. He loves us just as much on our best day as he does on our worst day and no less. But our state with him is nonetheless necessary for us to live and walk our Christian life. And therefore, the other side that we confuse is we, is we say, oh, well, it's all about grace. God loves me in Jesus Christ. I don't need to worry about everything. I don't need to care about how I live. He loves me. And we go and walk a reprobate life. 
that is confused as well. We need to understand our standing and we need to understand our state. We need to understand our positional grace in Christ and our experiential grace, which can change based on how we are responding to his grace. But here's the simple point. Neither standing before God, neither our standing positionally or our state experientially is about work one pastor pointed this out, and it's a wonderful example. Do you know what was over the, the fence when you walked into Auschwitz, the, the, the Nazi prison camp? Does anyone know the saying in German that was over that camp? Arbeit macht frei. Arbeit macht frei. Does anyone know German? Know what that means? Work makes free tragic thing. Going into that camp, those Jewish prisoners were told work and that's how you'll get free. No, work didn't make them free. They went to the, they went to the slaughterhouses by the millions. But do you know the devil tries to convince you the same thing? Work. Work makes free. Put God in your debt. Make it so that he has to bless you for all your good things that you're de delivering to him. No. Arbeit does not macht frei. Work does not make free. The only, the only hope of your state before God, your daily walk with God, is the grace of God that is delivered to you by the Holy Spirit in the character of Jesus Christ. Your only hope for living a, a, a life this week that pleases God is by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, is by living out the character of Jesus Christ today, tomorrow, and the next day. Don't go at it in your own work. Rest, rely on his life channeled through you to live and walk the Christian life that he wants for you. Grace-fueled living toward God is to channel the life of Christ, but this is very important. This is also a graciousness that we extend toward others. Do you know that standing in the grace of God in reality affects the way you live toward other Christians? I'll show you. Turn over to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Notice what Paul says here in verse 1. He says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations, not to just, just kind of faithless bickering, for one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eats herbs. He doesn't eat meat. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Now stop there for just a minute. What's going on here? Paul is saying there is a difference of conscience. One person's conscience allows him to live and to eat a certain way. Another Christian's conscience does not allow him to eat a certain way. It's a difference of conscience. And notice what Paul says. Don't judge the one whose conscience allows or does not allow what yours does. Why? Notice, for God hath received him. On what basis? On whether he ate or didn't eat, is that why God received him? No. On what basis? Grace. The same way that he received you and that he received me. For God hath received him. Now keep on going. Who art thou 
that judgest another man's servant. To his own master he standeth or falleth. Now listen to this. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Do you see that? God is able to make him stand. Now, do you know when we are confronted with issues in which our conscience, our conviction differs in areas from our brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about clear, undisputed areas of Scripture in which obedience is there at the threat of separation. I'm not speaking about those issues. I'm speaking about areas truly of conscience, of conviction. What Paul is saying is this. God received you by grace, and God is the one who will make you stand by grace. And so it allows me, it liberates me, it frees me not to look at someone else with an area of conviction or conscience different than than, than mine own and treat them in a judgmental way or in a despising, a, a, a looking down on them kind of way. It allows me to give grace to them. Why? Because I need grace to stand on my own. And God is the one who has received me by grace and will help me to stand. See, one of the reasons, one of the things we stand, we fall into in this area is that we see our relationship with God as almost being like a zero-sum game. We look at our church and what we stand for and our convictions, and we say, well, that church over there isn't doing it the same way that we are. Therefore, if they're doing it right, then we must be doing it wrong, and we become rivals We become factional. We say, well, they must be the ones that cannot be doing it right. Otherwise, it reflects poorly on us. You see, what Romans 14 tells us is simply this. When we can live graciously toward others on matters of conscience and conviction is to say, I only stand by grace myself. God is the one who must make me to stand in all of my convictions and in my matters of conscience. And it frees us. It liberates us to live graciously. You see, nothing about Romans 14 says that you or I should give up the firmness of our convictions. Nothing about Romans 14 says that you should violate your conscience because someone else is doing it a different way. No. And where we are convinced here at church, where we are convicted that the Bible teaches something, we will stand to that no matter what anyone else thinks. But in grace, we recognize that just as God, we are relying on his grace to make us stand. We can trust that by his grace, he will make others to stand equally in the conscience and conviction in which he has allowed them to have. So in the past, it gives me complete gratitude, not guilt, because I am standing in grace. In the present, I am living my life by grace, by his power, dependent on him. And toward others, other Christians, I have a graciousness, a magnanimity that recognizes we're all standing in grace. And I need it just as much as they do. But thirdly, there's something about the future that relates to standing in grace. Will you look back with me at chapter five, just as we close here? Look at verse two. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
Rejoice in hope. Do you know that word rejoice? Do you know when it's translated elsewhere in the book of Romans, it is translated boast? Not in every case, but in the first two times it's used, it's translated boast. In the same way, it's translated when Paul is speaking to the Galatians, he says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about a kind of exalting with a you, a kind of, a kind of glorying, a kind of boasting. And he says that this glorying, this boasting that we're in is in hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that someone is, who is standing in grace is entirely an optimist about the future. Entirely an optimist. Do you know, I wonder sometimes with the Christians who are entirely pessimists, it's as if I want to say, do you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible? How can you be a pessimist about the future? When the Bible tells us that when we stand in grace, we exalt, we glory, we boast in hope of what? That God's glory is going to be seen in us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You say, I'm pessimistic because of look at all this affliction that is coming our way. Paul says, that's a light affliction. Don't worry about that. Why aren't you focusing on the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory? Christians should be entirely rejoicers entirely boasters, gloriers in hope. They should be standing strong. Let the world come as it may. Let our country go as it may. Let's recognize that our light affliction has before us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory that we can boast in, that we can glory in, that we can stand utterly secure in. Why? Because it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my performance. And it has everything to do with his favor and divine purpose toward us that he wrought in Christ. Friend, do you exalt in the hope of the glory of God? Is that your daily posture? Glorying in it, boasting in it, I can't wait you pick up the newspaper and you read another screaming, blaring headline about everything that's going wrong, and you just put it to one side and you say, I, I'm just, I can't let that ex affect my exalting, my boasting, my glorying. Why? Because it's grace. What does it mean to stand in grace? It means that it has nothing to do with you. Your privilege is to have God's favor to you entirely in Christ. Your position is solely by faith, by Christ, nothing to do with you, everything to do with him. And what that means for our daily posture, for our daily perspective on life, is an entire gratitude looking backward, a graciousness looking forward toward others, and a dependence on his grace in my daily life, and a glorying that looks ahead to the future with complete confidence, complete hopefulness, complete optimism, about what God is eternally working in us in glory. Friend, you are standing in grace tonight if you're in Jesus Christ. So stand in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of God that has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We do not deserve it for a moment. 
And because it is by grace, that means we are to stand confidently in it. I pray tonight, Father, for those who are not living today in the standing that they have in Christ. I pray, Father, that you would root us in grace, the grace that is not brought about by work, but that is revealed to us by faith. Do that work in all of our hearts now, we pray.